the way this has happened and all came about. Um, you know, some people didn't want this to happen for whatever reasons. Uh, but this here is evidence that this was supposed to happen. This was supposed to happen. And I don't know if y'all are half as excited as I have been. I have not been to sleep since yesterday. I left work. I told my coworkers, I know I'm not going to sleep this night. And I think I slept about an hour and a half. And I'm still going strong. Probably not going to sleep too much tonight. I am just so excited to be in the midst of something this awesome that probably will only happen in this alcoholic's lifetime one time. And... Uh, <laughs> I had no idea about this guy until uh, I was talking with Wally, and uh, and he started telling me about this guy, and I, I just was in awe. If you understand what 62 years of sobriety, and you understand, if you understand, I'm sorry, excuse me, if you understand what 62 years of sobriety means in AA today, then you'll know that whenever AA celebrates its international conventions that is talking about 62 years of sobriety he's been here been sober as long as this program has been in existence and before I'm sorry He hasn't even said nothing yet. <laughs> uh, I know. I know. Thank you. So I'm not going to sit up here and belabor this. I want to let you and me welcome and give him a warm Dayton AA welcome, James Sr. We'll try this mic out. Can you hear me? Huh? No? Oh, you're going to take care of it. Okay. <laughs> well, I feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony tonight. <laughs> uh, I just don't know where to begin. Uh, I, Uh, I think I'll begin by just saying that I'm a, a friend of Bill Wilson. Now, a lot of people say I'm a friend of Bill Wilson, but uh, uh, I was a friend of Bill Wilson. Bill Wilson and I were friends back in 1935. But uh, <laughs> this, this crowd here really uh, amazes me uh, tonight. Uh, I feel at home in, uh, uh, in a Methodist church, so I've been a Methodist for how many years, Gilly? Seventy-nine years I've been a Methodist, uh, and uh, so uh, a lot of people say, well, "How in the world did you ever know Bill Wilson?" Well, you have to be old to know to know Bill Wilson. <laughs> and uh, in a few months, I'll be uh, ninety-two years old. So that qualifies. <laughs> So uh, before we get started here tonight, I uh, I was given a, a piece of paper to make an announcement, a special announcement. Uh, it says that there's a person here who traveled 200 miles for this meeting tonight, and that this person is 111 years old. Now, would that person, if it's the person, would you kindly stand for these people? Uh, uh, if you can't stand, maybe you can just hold your hand up. 
Well, maybe there's a name on, on this, this thing. I, I was... I'm sorry, we're getting off on the wrong foot already because I've already goofed here. Uh, this, this notice says the person is not uh, 111 years old. It says they're ill. And it's just that we're looking. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, and uh, I'm sorry about that. That's the reason they're not at the meeting tonight, you see. The, the, I wondered about them, I just wondered about them. Well, well, speaking of age, I did have an aunt, though, who lived to be 102, and she never used glasses. She just drank right out of the bottle the whole time. And, uh, uh, so, you got that? Uh, 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 that's a play on words, sir. Well, <laughs> Well, I, I want to tell you a story about uh, when I was a young fellow growing up. We were uh, the company I worked for was putting in a uh, a uh, uh, retirement plan, and for this plan to be effective, every employee in the company had to sign up for it. So there was an old fellow by the name of Joe who who said he didn't understand the plan and he wouldn't sign up for it. So the employees were anxious to get the thing in, into effect, and they so they. Uh, they worked on Joe, the foreman worked on Joe, the department head, even the vice president came down and worked on Joe, but Joe said, no, I don't want to stand a plan, I'm not going to sign for it. So the big boss finally said, send Joe up to me, I want to talk to him. So he said, he came in and said, Joe, they tell me you won't sign for the plan. That's right, he said, I never signed for anything I don't understand. Well, Joe said, uh, I mean, uh, the boss said, Joe, let me explain it to you this way. He said, you either sign up for the plan or you're fired. So Joe took the plan and looked it over, signed it, and handed it back. So the boss said, why didn't you do that before? He said, well, no one ever explained it to me just like that. <laughs> so the reason I told that story is that I hope that uh, everyone can go away from this building tonight and say that no one ever explained the AA movement and the Oxford group like that before. Uh, because I, uh, right off the bat here, I want to tell you that I'm uh, not what they call a, uh, uh, what is it, a, a California comedian, is it right? right? <laughs> or, a, or, or an entertainer. That, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not a professional speaker. Uh, with my voice, I wouldn't even uh, get on the first platform before they'd run me off. But I have certain truths, I think, that we can talk about tonight, and uh, that qualifies me, sir. Well, now, I, I don't know, uh, uh, I wish I knew what what you would like me to say tonight, because uh, I don't, uh, the only notes I have is this note that they, they gave me to start with here on the deal. <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, so I don't, uh, uh, I'm here tonight to tell you and to explain to you what it was like back uh, when I knew Bill Wilson. Now, uh, uh, that was a long, long time ago. And uh, so uh, I, I, I want to tell you something about my life first, and then I'll go on and tell you about Bill Wilson. I had my first drink when I was five years old. I used to get into my mother's dandelion wine, and then I'd fill up the bottles with uh, with water so that they they wouldn't know she wouldn't know about it. And of course, I know that none of you have done anything a lot of God before. <laughs> the first day at school, when I was six years old, I took a pint of dandelion wine to school with me, and because I was drinking like Coca-Cola, I didn't know the difference, and I was very disappointed when they uh, when they uh, t took it away from me. Uh, so, so I, I, uh, I, uh, I drank all during my high school days and and into my into my after high school days. Uh, I barnstormed around the country for a number of years with a traveling basketball team, and I played in the national amateur championships a couple of years out in Kansas City, and I worked for a power company, uh, several power companies. 
And uh, then uh, I, uh, I met my wife when I was in 1930, when I was 24 years old. And uh, she only knew me nine months. Uh, she came to a school there in my hometown. <clears throat> and uh, so I talked her into running off and getting married before she left school. Well, her, her family had uh, already checked into me and they got a bad report from the town fathers saying that I never worked a day in my life and all that sort of thing. And she, they were telling her that I wasn't any good to start with. But anyhow, we ran off and, uh, and were married. I wasn't married a, a month uh, before I told her that I was sorry I ever saw her. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, uh, I wasn't... I wasn't used to being tied down. I was a sort of a freelance agent, and I was running the range, and I, I, I was just a free, a free agent. I, I was running everywhere. Uh, so, uh, uh, so when I told her that, she, uh, she was a very proud girl, and she wasn't about to go home and say, "You were right to her parents. You were right. That guy wasn't, a, wasn't any good." So she decided to stick it out. So we, uh, she, she realized that. It, uh, well, this this is later. Uh, so uh, we were four and a half years into a downhill marriage, was going, uh, arm truce marriage, going nowhere but downhill. And at that point, I met the Oxford group. And it was at that point where, well, several months after that point, I met Bill Wilson. But I'll tell you about that time. Uh, later, but I wanted to tell you what happened with me in the Oxford group because I want everyone here to understand and this is difficult for some of uh, the new AA people to understand but there was never any AA group it was all Oxford group Bill Wilson, Dr. Bob and all of us were in the, and I, incidentally I never knew Dr. Bob I only knew Bill Dr. Bob was out in Akron I was in Baltimore so uh, not much money so I didn't travel much but there was never any uh, AA movement, all Oxford group. And that's the reason that everything in the 12-step program came out of the Oxford group. There wasn't anything else. That was a source material. So, uh, so I met the Oxford group in, uh, on December the 12th, 1934, in a YMCA room there in Frederick, Maryland. And uh, they, uh, it was an interesting group, and uh, so you know the background of the Oxford group, which I didn't know too much about at that time, but the Oxford group was basically a one-on-one -on -one Christian evangelistic movement. Bookman had an, uh, Bookman said uh, his idea was to take, was not really to convert people as such. That was part of the thing. But the thing is, uh, often uh, so many, there are many things that will make a person good. But usually, in many cases, they end up being good for nothing. Because they see they don't have a purpose for their life. Now, this is what the Oxford group gave. The, the Oxford group uh, took, us, it took us that, that in the next step, which I didn't know anything about. Uh, the Bookman, in the Oxford group, the Bookman brought basically three things to us. And number one was the four standards that Bill, for some reason or other, didn't put into the fourth step. Uh, but these were absolute honesty, absolute purity, absolute unselfishness, and absolute love. And these were taken from the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, a guy by the name of Robert Spear, a theologian, a Presbyterian a theologian, took the Sermon on the Mount and boiled it down to just the essence there. You, you ladies know it, boiling things down until you get the essence of the thing. He said what Christ was talking about the Sermon on the Mount was being absolutely honest, being absolutely pure, absolutely unselfish, and absolutely loving. Uh, that was the first thing that hit me between the eyes, because I'd never heard of this before. And then Bookman talked about two-way prayer. That is, uh, praying to God and uh, having God talk to you. He said that everyone talks to God with their mind. This was the logic that they had. They said, it, and uh, you don't pray out loud usually. You, normally you pray to God through your mind. And it's absolutely uh, uh, logical to think that God, with all his power, can also 
give you his thoughts back through your mind. Well, that seemed logical to me. Uh, And then the next thing was restitution. Uh, putting right the things that are wrong, making amends, as, as, as Bill, Bill calls this. See, this is all in the 12-step program now, remember, too. Uh, so those are the three things, the four standards, the guidance of God, and the uh, uh, restitution. Uh, I'll tell you more about uh, restitution in, in, in a moment. But I wasn't convinced that, that God could speak to me in my mind. And, and uh, so they said, well, why don't you experiment it with, with me? It was sort of a dare that they gave me. And I said, sure, I mean, I, uh, uh, I took a dare. And uh, the first thing, when I opened my mind to God, the first thing that came into my mind was to go back and straighten up for a car, which I had uh, driven drunk. Uh, I worked for a company out in New York, but we hired, uh, borrowed a company car from a local telephone company. And I had taken this car and gone to the University of Maryland for a weekend and ran into a car and didn't stop. And uh, I thought no one had my license. They did. I, uh, I, it, uh, uh, I took my car home, fixed it up, and, and took an extra precaution to have the fellow who had the garage uh, to say I didn't have a car out. Hey, could I have some water? Uh, uh, so, uh, I'm not used to talking <laughs> this long, you see. So they came to investigate, and sure enough, and uh, he, uh, so my story apparently held, and they, uh, uh, they went away. Now, this was 10 years before that. Humanly, I would never, I had never thought of that, about that particular thing. Not once had that ever entered my mind. And for that thing to come into my mind, it had to be something supernatural to put it there. So that uh, starting to, it began to make a believer uh, out of me. And then I began, I sat down with a fellow and talked over my life together. And that's what we're supposed to do uh, in, in the AA movement. Now, if you, if you follow closely what I'm telling you as we go along here, and then compare what I'm telling you with the, with the 12 steps, uh, you'll see this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's just as, uh, maybe as alcoholics, we haven't followed all of these things. We have not gotten beyond the part of alcohol, you see. So let's think about these things as we go together, because this is what AA movement is all about, what I'm telling you tonight. This is what Bill Wilson found. This is what Dr. Bob found. So when I began to listen to God then, and they prescribe this every day as a morning devotion. How many here have morning devotions? Many of us have more. Four, sure. Uh, so you're familiar with it. So I began having morning devotions, and God began to put thoughts in my mind that, that never I had never thought of before. Now I worked for a power company, as I told you, and uh, I worked for a salary, but I worked overtime, but I didn't get paid overtime, and I had no qualms about it at all about padding my expense account. I said, they owe me this money, and that's the way I got my money, you see. I took my personal mail in and threw it into the company mail and got, my, got all my letters sent free. But then, most of all, I had a jumper on my electric meter. And, and in, the hour, in the eyes of a power company empl- a man, the lowest form of humanity is a guy that puts a jumper on his electric meter. And I not only had mine fixed up, I had my mother's fixed up. <laughs> and uh, uh, oh, thank you. And she, uh, uh, <laughs> excuse me, <I'm laughs> keep that handy, Ronnie. <laughs> uh, and that was a big bill. So, uh, so I went to, uh, I went to, uh, uh, I went to the boss, and here's where restitution comes. And I always thought restitution meant. Uh, uh, just cleaning your own slate and getting a nice fresh start and uh, all that sort of thing. Yeah, it's it's that. <clears throat> but it, <clears throat> the big thing is what it does for the other fellow. And so, so uh, I, uh, I went to uh, I went to the big boss, and the big boss was a was a very he was a heavy church man in the Lutheran Church. And so I went to him and began to tell him that I was stealing from the company. 
and he didn't know how to handle that. So uh, uh, he, uh, he said, uh, he, I said, well, uh, uh, he said, well, uh, uh, he said, I don't know how to handle it. <laughs> he said, he said, what do you want me to do? I said, I don't know. I said, I, I said, I want to pay the money back. Oh. He said, no, you don't have a hand left. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, you go over and see Wilson Cook. Wilson Cook was an employee of the company. His, his only job, his main purpose and only job in the company was to convince, convince people that their meter was not running high. People were constantly coming in and said, I have a high meter. It's running too high. Well, I had worked in the, in, the, in the meter department, and I knew that it's impossible to make a meter more than 10% high. Uh, so they were not talking about much money, but his job was to convince them. He was all day long talking people down on the. So I breezed into him and told him I was stealing for the company, and uh, and so uh, he said, "Well," he said, uh, "I said I want to pay it back." He said, "Well, uh, how much do you think it's worth? How much do you owe?" And I said, "Well," I said, uh, "According to my figures, it must be around five hundred dollars." And that was in 1930. Uh, uh, that was a lot of money right after the Depression, $500. And his first remark was that, oh, it couldn't be that much. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, he talked me down for, to $250, I think it was. <laughs> and, then he, and then he said, well, how do you want to pay it? I said, that's it, I don't have any money. Uh, so, <laughs> So we made an arrangement for me to come in every every payday, and I gave him so much money under the table, and he took the money until all the $250 was paid. But that was a, that was a restitution. Then I began to get other thoughts. In 1918, I was 12 years old, and I worked for a man uh, for a nickel an hour. I worked 10 hours a day. I got 50 cents a day. I worked th uh, six days a week. I got three bucks a week. And this fellow ran a retail electric store. And I, I, I was just moved in from the farm where we had nothing but kerosene lights and horse and buggy travel. Uh, and so I was fascinated with this idea of electric, electricity and I began to think in terms of running extensions around my house and three bucks a week I couldn't buy them so I stole the stuff from him. <laughs> and uh, now, uh, 16 years later, uh, God was telling me to go back and to restore uh, for that uh, uh, for, for that money, and I don't recall how much money it was, but it was a little sticky then. Uh, he and I were elders on on a Methodist church board at that time. <laughs> we graduated and gone up to the. So I went back and told him that I was stealing from him, and he said uh, he said well he was amazed uh, and he said so I offered him this money, and he said look you know I can't take this money. He said uh, I'll have to give it to the church or something. I said well uh, that's your problem. I said but my idea is to give you the, uh, the money. So then he said uh, do you have time for uh, for coffee? And I said yeah. So we went across the street, and he said look. Uh, Jeremy said, I, I never had anyone be dead honest with me the way you, you, you were with me. And uh, he said, uh, he said, I want you to know that this touched me very, very deeply. He said, I, I, he said, I, uh, uh, I think I, he said, I feel I should share something with you out of my life. And he said, I want to tell you that my wife and I are on the verge of divorce. He said, I, I haven't been faithful to her. He said, the papers are drawn and I don't see any way out. But he said, you've given me a completely new idea. He said, I'm going home and be absolutely honest with her about my life as you have with me here to see if we can't straighten it out. But she did, and they, and they never got divorced. And I began to see then, I would, look, I was only about two or three weeks into the program at that time. Uh, Bill Wilson and I became, were working in the Oxford group. And you can imagine how a neophyte person like this, uh, how it affected me. Because here I, I had, uh, I had, my being honest with a person had uh, completely uh, not only uh, well honesty not only changed my life, and that was my problem. It wasn't drinking uh, as much as that was, but it saved this fellow's marriage. And I began to see then what Bookman was talking about it is that. Uh, is that how, how God can use the, the thing. Now, I could have gone to that fellow and said, look, Homer, it's rumored around town you're running around. Why don't you straighten up and fly right? 
well, he would have told me to go to hell, and rightly so. But I simply went to him, sharing with him the deepest thing in my heart that, that I knew to be truth, uh, in order to, uh, because this is the thing that God told me to do, and following that guidance, it saved that, saved that fellow's marriage. And that was, a, 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 to me, that was an, 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 an amazing thing. And then I began to see the power of the movement and how God directing uh, and people's lives could, could, uh, could, could, uh, could change things. And then I had, then my next uh, venture was with my wife. Uh, it took me three nights to get straightened out with her uh, because uh, she had no idea the kind of fellow I, I was. I had, she only knew me for nine months while I was in, while she was there in school, and that was only on weekends, and uh, she couldn't uh, get out of school at night. So it was she knew me very, very little. So uh, I'd already told her that uh, that uh, uh, that, uh, that uh, I wish I'd never seen her, and uh, she decided that she decided to stick it out because she she said that she was looking at it this way. It was better to know the things that I was going to tell her about me uh, than to not know them and have the whole thing uh, wash out. She felt that uh, she could build something new on the things I was telling her. It took me three nights. I'd start talking when I came home from school, talk through dinner hour, after dinner hour, after we went to bed, we, we, we'd talk, and three nights of that to tell her all of the things that she needed to know, I felt she needed to know about me. And I didn't hold anything back. I was just dead honest with her about the whole thing. And that's, the where, and that's when she decided that we could build something new. My sister at that time was making a book that my marriage would not last a year. And a marriage that wasn't supposed to last a year lasted 57 years. Uh, so... Uh, 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 so in, in Frederick, a little town there close to Baltimore, uh, we were holding meetings in the, what was then the old Francis Scott Key Hotel. And uh, uh, we held them on Saturday night. And one Saturday night, I was leading the meeting, and, and uh, a big straw hat guy come raising into the big, big, tall, thin fellow. And he said, I'm Bill Wilson. And uh, he said, you're going to have any drunks here tonight? I said, well, Bill, I said, I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if you're going to have any drunks. I said, uh, people are drinking. I don't know if they call themselves drunks or not. But you have to understand, and, and here again, it's difficult for the AA people to understand this, why the Oxford group never m m uh, made alcohol a, uh, the big bad thing. Alcohol was not, absolutely not any different, and on the same level with 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 with, with smoking. Now, a lot of you it's hard, hard it's hard to see that, uh, but but there was there was, in the Oxford group we dealt with sin in people's lives. We don't hear a lot about that anymore. You don't hear the word sin anymore, but it was very very prevalent then. Uh, we were told that sin is anything that separates you from God. Or another person, and uh, in the Methodist Church, uh, uh, John Wesley's mother, Susan Wesley. How many Methodists are here tonight? Incidentally, well, you, uh, well, not too many, no, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to Audubon, anyhow. The uh, 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 Suzanne was John Wesley's mother, and John Wesley had a brother named Charles who wrote the music and a lot of hymns and. But John was a, well, he was a, a preacher. He was uh, in the Church of England, uh, but he's, his, he, he felt the same like Bookman and some of the other great uh, uh, spiritual leaders. He felt that the church wasn't doing a job. His idea was to revitalize the Church of England. He never intended to build a, a new church. In fact, he never became a, a Methodist. He always remained a member of, of, the, of the Anglican Church, the Church of England. But Susan wrote to John one time, and she said this. She said, "Whenever your mind, whenever no, whenever your body, whenever your body takes authority over your mind, that thing to you is sin, no matter how innocent it may seem in itself." So that defines it. 
way down. Smoking, drinking, womanizing. That was one of Bill's problems, you see. He was a great womanizer. Uh, and uh, uh, that strikes home in many places, you see. Uh, it did with me. Uh, uh, so, uh, so then I, I, uh, I, I read into Bill a, uh, a, a number of times. Uh, Bill was, uh, he was, uh, uh, he was going to Sam Schumacher's church in New York. And uh, they were having they were having uh, meetings up there every night in the week, and Bill was a great friend of Sam Sh Sam Schumacher's. Uh, so I used to go up uh, on weekends sometimes to see Sam and and Bill, and I knew all, all of these these people then. And uh, so that's how I continued my fellowship uh, with, with Bill. And this went on for about uh, about two years, and then Bill went to. Frank Bookman and said that he felt that uh, he should uh, give full time just to alcoholics. Bill was absolutely obsessed with giving what he had found to every alcoholic uh, that he ran across. Lois didn't know if she was that's his wife. She didn't know if she was going to sleep in her own bed at night because Bill was always bringing drunks home and sobering them up. And uh, so Bill said went to Frank and Bookman and he said. Uh, he said, Frank, I, I think I should give full time to alcoholics. And Bill, uh, Frank said, Bill, if that's the biggest thing you see for your life, go and do it. But he said, remember, we're dealing with alcoholic nations, meaning, meaning people with all problems. And at that time, Bill and I uh, became uh, sort of disassociated because I never, I never saw Bill much after that. Uh, he left, and you know the story. He worked with about 50 alcoholics for six months, and at the end of that six months, not one was any different. Uh, and he was going to quit. But Lois said, look, Bill, you've got to remember that not once during that time do you yourself want to drink. And he said, that's right. So responsibility became the keynote of the AA movement at, at that time. Still is today. But... I don't know, for some reason or other, we don't apply it the way we, we used to. In the early day, Dr. Bob, Bill, and all the early adherents, they'd go any place, any time, day or night, to a jail, street, anywhere, to a drunk who was in trouble. But I don't see that happening happening now. And that's some of the things that, we're, that we want to talk about tonight. How do we get back to those, to those spiritual qualities? How do we get back uh, to... To the basics again, uh, how it, uh, because this is what the the the, the AA uh, movement is all about. It's it's more than alcohol. He only mentions alcohol once in the first step. Everything else, as uh, Bill said in the fourth step, for instance, he didn't put the, the four standards in there, but he he said take a fearless moral inventory. So that's more than. So uh, if you if you do that, he meant that if you take a moral inventory, you're going to deal with everything that's immoral. So apparently, he he uh, sort of certainly considered alcohol to be an immoral problem. Now, if you put alcohol on the same basis, how about the other things in your life? Uh, you, see, a lot of people only deal want to deal with alcohol and deal, but the the the. the uh, uh, Bill, uh, Bill made it very clear, a moral inventory. If, if, uh, if uh, uh, I mean, I'm not pointing it, I'm just, I'm just looking at facts. If, uh, if alcohol is an immoral thing, why wouldn't smoking be an immoral thing too? It tears your body down. It, it, and uh, so, uh, so these are the things that I get a little bit concerned about sometimes because we come in to our meetings and we talk, we, we spend an hour, hour and a half, two hours talking about the horrors of alcohol and everybody trying to make their story worse than the other person to show that they came farther up the ladder and at the same time they can't wait to get out the door to get the next cigarette. Now, now those are things I think we have to think about uh, on, on the deal. Uh, and uh, uh, I just saw a fellow on the way in here. I thought I saw him over here someplace. Uh, oh, there he is. I told him, I said, those things are going to kill you. And he said, uh, yeah, and I know they are. And uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> so uh, 
Uh, let me see, where were we here now? Uh, <laughs> you know, there, there are so many, uh, there are so many, uh, there's so many things on people's mind out there, and uh, so many questions they have, and all this sort of thing. I, I just uh, wish we had a pipeline out, and I could. Uh, I have done this in smaller meetings where I, 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 I have people ask questions, you know, and then I go back and answer answer those those questions. In a meeting, meeting like this, I'm afraid it would get out of hand. Uh, we, we, we'd have uh, we'd have uh, too many in, in, involved in, in the thing now. I want to say a word about Akron. Uh, uh, Dr. Bob, uh, Dr. Bob was a spiritual powerhouse of the Akron group. Now, Bill left uh, uh, left the, uh, the Akron group in 1937, 19, 19, uh, 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 and he began to toy around with writing the, the big book. And he uh, uh, he uh, was in touch with Dr. Bob then. And although I didn't know Dr. Bob, I knew uh, I knew uh, uh, Clarence Snyder and his wife Grace. I knew I knew T. Henry Williams, who was who was a fellow who invented the tire molds for making for retreading tires. Now back in the 30s, retreading tires was a big thing. And so Henry was a mechanical engineer, and he developed these 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 molds. So that's who I'm in touch with: Firestone, Goodyear, Ford, and all the automotive pe- people. You see. So this was a, Bud Firestone was in there. Bud Firestone was a town drunk, uh, and the Oxford group changed his life. And then, uh, the, and uh, uh, so then on the Oxford group, as far as the Firestone company was, they, they were ace high on the deal. Henry had a side building there, and you know the story of the, the Mayflower Hotel and how Bill went in there and and was calling around for someone in the Oxford group. Uh, he was given the name of Henry at a building and. And uh, so she had been praying uh, that uh, because Dr. Bob was in the Oxford group, but he was still drinking. Uh, and uh, so they, uh, they, they didn't know really how to ha- handle this. The same thing with Bill. Bill was still smoking in the Oxford group, you see. And, they were, and he didn't like people checking up on him about it. said, how you coming, Bill, and smoking, see? So uh, when he left, he got away from all, all this, too, you see. <laughs> But uh, but Henrietta Seibling said one night to the team, and what we call we called the Oxford group then uh, we, uh, the local group where they were called a team, uh, and uh, so she said to the local team she said she said my guidance is that we have to do something dramatic here tonight to bring something new into Dr. Bob's life, and she said I want everyone to come to the meeting tonight, and be ready to share something in the, deep in their life that they had never shared before in order to bring uh, to bring something new into the meeting to, to bring a, a more spiritual element into the meeting and that's what they did and everyone shared something very very, very deeply and, th- and that triggered something in Dr. Bob's life and then they all got down uh, uh, on their knees in the living room wherever they were, they were seated and all of them prayed together, and that is the thing that changed Dr. Bob's life. And that's the reason T. Henry Williams always pointed to a spot in the floor and said, that's where the AA started, right there. When, and Dr. Bob got down and gave his life to God. He said, that's where it started. Henry Edis Ivern said, no, it started in my apartment when I got uh, Bill Wilson and Dr. Bob together. But regardless of, it started in Akron, isn't it, question about that? <laughs> And uh, so, uh, so, so, uh, so we won't. In fact, let me see that book. I have a, no, 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 no water, not yet. Uh, I have a, I have a book here that's, that show, tells the connection between the A movement and Oxford Group, which is the, later became Moral Rearmament. It's known as MRA now. Uh, and uh, uh, it's called, It Started Right There. And that's the title of the book, but that's that's the meaning of that phrase. There was an argument between between T. Henry and Henry uh, as to just as to, uh, to just where it started. Uh, but uh, uh, Bill, uh, you see, Bill was an atheist uh, before he met the Oxford Group, and he had a, a, a spiritual conversion in his life uh, in the town hospital in New York City. 
And I think many of you have read the, the account of that, how he had this strange feeling come over him. Uh, you know, the room lit up like a thousand-watt bulb. But uh, something like uh, St. Paul's experience on the road to, to Damascus. But he, uh, uh, Bill had had a, had a, had a definite conversion. Uh, so uh, when he came into the, the Oxford group, he, uh, he sort of used the Oxford group, in a sense, as a, like a filling station and relating uh, alcohol to changing the oral, if you can equate to that, is that uh, he would, uh, he, if you brought your car in regular to get service and get your oil changed, that was great with, with Bill. He didn't care if the tires were bad or the steering was bad or you had no headlights, as long as you, he'd put you out on the street, as long as that oil was changed, you see. And uh, so, the, so Bill was absolutely obsessed with his idea of of, uh, of, of, of oil changing. Uh, I mean, of alcohol. And uh, but uh, how are we doing on the time? All right. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about about the uh, spiritual side of, of this uh, thing. Now, uh, the Oxford group. Uh, was a uh, uh, I don't know exactly how how they equated or how they, but it was head and shoulders above uh, any other Christian movement that I knew at, at that time because it dealt vitally with with uh, people's lives. Bookman was not an evangelist as, as such, uh, just interested in in uh, in uh, getting people changed. He was tremendously interested in getting them changed, but to use them against building a, a new world with them. Bookman's idea was always new men, new nations, a new world. And he, he never, he, he never uh, departed from that. He said everyone, every, everyone wants to see the other fellow different. And every nation wants to see the other, other nation different. But everyone and every nation is waiting for the other to begin. He said, if you want to answer in the world today, the best place to start is with yourself and with your own nation. And, uh, and that's exactly what, what Bookman did. Bookman said, you can't make a, a good omelet out of bad eggs. He said, you can vote the Democrats in and vote the Republicans out, vote the Republicans in and the Democrats out, but unless you deal with the motives of those men involved, you'll always end up with the same thing today, no matter you put the Democrats or Republicans in, uh, you've always got that, you've always, always, always got that element in. But, uh, Bookman was strong on, on, uh, the fact of, uh, listening to God. And that's what, that's what the workshop is. A lot of it's going to be about tomorrow, here, today. It's not only listening to God, it's how to, to listen to God. And it's, it's not a, it's, it's, it's not a, it's not a big deal. Uh, you can, you can, well, you can listen to God anywhere, uh, anytime. Now we talk in our in our churches, uh, in our meetings. We we talk about getting God's will, getting God's will for our life, but that we never analyze as to just exactly how to, how to do it. Tomorrow in this session, we're going to we're going to right, Wally. We're going to learn we're going to learn how how to do it, and uh, it's it's. Uh, it's not all. It's not all that. Uh, it's it's not all that complicated. So uh, uh, I, I want to read you something here. I know we. I could. I could. Uh, uh, I hope I can find this quickly. I could go on and tell you many many things about the things, but. I hope I'll have a chance to uh, uh, to, to, to talk to you some later. Uh, but we in, in the AA movement, you see, uh, the thing we've done here tonight. Uh, some of you might not have been have been conscious of it, but we've actually gone through the twelve-step program. Uh, we we talked about alcohol. You remember, I was powerless over alcohol. I was you over it, and uh, I, I I gave my life to God. That's step two, uh, and uh, uh, I made a decision to do turn my life over over to God. 
That's three. Four, I made a searching inventory of my life on the basis of those four standards and, and things that happened. Uh, I admitted to God and another person about my wrongs. I sat down and talked my life over with a fellow, in fact, from Norway. And I thought that, that my problems, my sins were peculiar to me. No one had my sins. Here I talked to a guy from Norway. He, he was telling me the same things that I was bothered with only God had taken these out of his life and I had not had that experience yet but I got that by sitting around talking that was uh, was step number five and then six we were ready to have God remove these things from her and then uh, we humbly asked him to to, uh, to remove our our shortcomings we talked about all this here tonight and then I I made a list of the persons that I'd harmed and I told you about restitution you see and then I I continued to take a personal inventory every day I I began to have guidance and and uh, and to to, uh, uh, that's that's number uh, number ten and then 11, you saw through prayer and meditation, that's daily, uh, daily uh, quiet times. See, we, we, we went through the 12 steps and you didn't even know it tonight. Uh, because because uh, this is the way we should be going through them. Just the way we went through them and faced all these issues. Uh, now, uh, then uh, having a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry our message to other people. And that's exactly what, what the Oxford group was all about. It was a one-on-one evangelistic movement. Uh, they see, most people never get beyond the point of their own conversion. Uh, it's nothing wrong with it. It's good. But it doesn't result in, in well, their experience being multiplied into the life of, a, of another person. And in, we're guilty of it in AA too. We never get beyond our own sobriety. We place everything on sobriety. Now... When I say I had 62 years of sobriety and I was a friend of Bill Wilson, new Bill Wilson, people think I walk on water or something, you see. But I tell them, look, 60, uh, 62 years and a dollar will get you a cup of coffee if that's all my life has meant in the lives of other people during that time. Now, a lot of people uh, get salvation and it's like getting a ticket to heaven. Uh, you sit in the station and, and wait for the Heavenly Express to come along and take you to the promised land. But what has happened to those people's lives in the, in, while they're waiting in that station, you see? And that's what I mean being good for nothing. You can be good, but you can be good for nothing. Now, the Oxford group gave us a purpose for our life. And if you listen to the deepest thing in your life uh, when you're having quiet times, God will, 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 we will, will give you a purpose for your life. And uh, that's the thing that, that makes the AA movement, that makes the Christian movement, the church movement so dull to people because all they, they're guaranteed is salvation. There's no program for their life to God, guide their life. And that's where morning quiet time comes in. And I'm telling you that within this group here tonight, tonight, now let me tell you something else about this group. Every one of you here tonight, I don't think it's an exception, have had at one time or another have said something to someone that you regret it. And you've gone back to that person and said, look, so-and-so, I'm sorry, I didn't really mean what I said to you the other day. I hope you'll forgive me. And invariably, that person will say, well, look, uh, it wasn't all your fault. I had a part in it. So what is happening there? Almost immediately, you can't explain it, there's a new relationship that's born between you two people immediately. And uh, uh, something that has been a vertical barrier, subconscious barrier between you two now becomes a horizontal thing. Uh, that fellowship flows back and forth between the, those two lives. Now, that is the simplest form of restitution I can think of. But it's happened to every one of us. And what we need to do, we need to take that, that idea, and multiply. Uh, and uh, how many people did we apologize to today? Uh, those are the things that we, that we need. In other words, open our lives with... You see, as a, uh, uh, people here, are, I guess a lot of you here are Christians, and we glibly talk about the cross. But there's, a, there's an element of the cross in our sharing our lives with other people. Because we're, we're telling someone something that we're deeply ashamed of in our life, something that we, we try to hide, but we're willing to share that with someone if it's going to mean bringing something new into the other life. 
And you see, that is, I see this reading the element of the cross. That's exactly what happened to Christ. I mean, Christ, it cost Christ his life to bring us something new. And in the sense, it's, it's an element of the cross, that, that sharing, because we don't want to do it. Our pride, our ego, and, and this sort of thing. But if we want to help someone else, we've got to be honest with them about our own life. Because that is the thing that, that uh, touches people's lives. Now, uh, 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 so why should we fight the answer? Why don't we live the answer? I mean, to fight the problem, I'm sorry. Why don't, why don't we fight the problem, but live the answer? And if we live the answer, there's no problem, you see. Uh, but what I'm, what I'm coming to now is that with this drum of people, you, you people can go out from here, absolutely new creatures, creatures in God. You can go out there as, a, as ambassadors to, uh, to a new world order. You can go out there as, as, a, as, a, as new world builders. Because the only way you're going to get a new world is to build it with changed people. That's all. Now, people talk about the new world, but, but, uh, but, and, but who is the world to us? The world is the people that we come in contact with tomorrow, the next day, tonight. The people around us, that's our world. How are we affecting them? Uh, often the people say the things you say speak so loud I can't hear a thing you're saying. So the thing that they need to see something, they need something new in us. Now I want to. Uh, uh, that's what we can do as AA people, and that's what I I covered for each of you here. I hope some of you come back tomorrow and we can talk some more about this of how to get life, uh, how to listen to God, and how to make God a daily part of your life. Because that's the way it started. That's the only way it can exist. If you take God out of our program, we have nothing. I'll tell you. I've seen. I've seen. Others uh, 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 new. Suppose our homes again become the nation's strength. Our schools, the centers of true learning and good citizenship. Our farms and factories, a pattern of unity, integrity, and national service. Suppose our statesmen learn again to listen to the voice of God. Then we shall know once more the greatness of a nation whose strength is in the spirit of her people. And you are her people. Are you ready for it?